I looked at him and I said, I want to tell you something honest. I said, I am a really bad spouse. Uh, filed for divorce twice in that time, but the first year we separated and I was really at the point of, I don't, I don't want this. This is completely beyond anything I can comprehend. It's destroying me. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is Couples Synergy. And welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Check us out online at couplesynergy.com or on Facebook and Instagram at couplesynergy. And please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for over 20 years. You know, everyone says you should work on your relationship but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do, to create the relationship they always dreamed of. With the partner they fell in love with. On today's episode, we welcome Christian Bolin and his wife, Helen. Christian is the author of Healing the Stormy Marriage, Hope and Help for You When Your Loved One Has Mental Health or addiction issues. And in the book, he teams up with Helen, his wife of 35 years, to show how the combined application of mental health research, relationship skills, and spiritual principles found in the Bible can save and transform a marriage. Welcome, Christian and Helen. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. We're so glad to be here. We really want to hear a lot about this book, and definitely we're going to get into you know what prompted you know, writing the book. But before we do that, why don't we uh, start with how old you guys are and what do you do for a living and and how long have you been together? Yeah, well, actually, this is a great day to ask that question because today, to the day we met 36 years ago in Bordentown, New Jersey, my first night on the road as a traveling musician and uh, we happened to be playing at a place where Helen enjoyed going and we met that night. Wow. Wow. What, what, uh, <laughs> what instrument do you play? I was bass guitar and lead singer. And uh, Helen pointed out I should never be a dancer. No. Been... <laughs> <laughs> That's so Not wonderful. At all. But we made great music. They loved us. And uh, we were married six months later. Oh, wow. That's so wonderful. And what was it about the other person you fell in love with? Well, you know, they say opposites attract, and we really are polar opposites. Mm. And I'm kind of on the quiet side and studious. And Helen... I'm a little quieter. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I looked at him. I had a lot of emotional problems e even back then. Um, and to me, he was a very um, strong personality. And I felt that he would be able to tell me what to do. And that was real important to me back then. A couple months after our marriage, it wasn't as important. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I saw in Helen, you know, just basically everything that I didn't have. She just had, you know, great wit uh, and social skills 
just people liked being around her. She was like a light. And people have said that ever since. Uh, she's brought so much laughter into our relationship. But, you know, the mental health issues, I also, I mean, our book is about mental health challenges. And even though this is a focus on when you're married to somebody with mental health issues, but I also have my own. And I knew something wasn't quite clicking for me. Uh, but I later found out I, I'm bipolar too. It's a depressive form of bipolar. And it's not frequently diagnosed well, but it really affected our relationship. And it kind of created a kind of a vicious cycle sometimes. But just to be, you know, right up front with really the most significant challenging dynamic of our relationship was Helen, later we found out it's diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and bipolar one, so the manic form. So both together, you know, the comorbidity, they call it, is very significant. But initially, you know, the real people, the people that we fell in love with, I mean, we we really still to this day love each other for that really cool person that we saw in each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's so wonderful. And you, and you said like within six months, you guys were married. Yes. And how yeah, old were you guys at the time? Within a month. 24. You were both 24? Yes. Yes. And did you know at the time any of the issues that you had? Were you aware that there was a mental illness thing going on? I, I knew something was up. I had already been in a psych unit when I was 18. Um, and I had been previously married and was going through a divorce when I met Rob. And so we were sitting on a bench one day and I looked at him and I said, I want to tell you something honest. I said, I am a witch. And I don't mean the witch, but a, a, a really bad spouse. Mm -hmm. And uh, he looked at me and he said, uh, there's no way. And um, then another six months into our marriage, he said that I had never lied to him. <laughs> now she, she says you really shouldn't marry me i have a lot of problems and i just couldn't see it i mean and i i really you know our faith was significant um we really you know were prayerful about things and and we just felt i felt like well we'll, we'll get through it life's hard you know we all have our challenges and we looked optimistically I also had a physical disability that I was born with. I was born with a paralyzed left leg from the knee down. Mm -hmm. And um, when Rob went to ask my father for um, his blessing on our marriage, you want to pick up what daddy said? Well, he, he just says, you're, you, are you prepared to, you know, to manage and deal with and take care of her? Because she's going to probably end up in a wheelchair. And, you know, I assured them that I was, and she has. She had a bad accident um, 15 years in our marriage, uh, slipped in a bathtub, shattered, every, you know, all the bones, and it was bad. Oh. And she hasn't walked quite as well since, and she's in a wheelchair outside of the house. Uh, and there's, you know, there's a variety of physical challenges. But it's kind of fun because I always say that Rob has always wanted to push me around, and now he can. <laughs> and I also say that he uses me as a shopping cart in the grocery store. And the only time it became a problem was when he wanted to buy a refrigerator. It was a little hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you guys are very familiar with those terms, bipolar and borderline personality disorder. But for people who are not, can you talk about what that is the experience of that for you guys? 
Like, how do you experience, mm -hmm. you know, the actual disorder? Mine um, has been very weird to me because I don't know it's happening. I don't know. I mean, um, it doesn't seem to come into focus. Rob can tell me, Helen, you're yelling or Helen, you're, you know, pulling out your hair. But I don't sense it. I think it's a... a I think it's normal to do that. And, um, and I destroy things that I love, um, which has made our marriage really hard because he's who I love. So I'm out to destroy him. Uh, I don't know why I am, but that is one of uh, the things. Um, and the spending money, uh, I spent loads of money um, that I didn't have. Rob was the sole income in our family. Um, and then with my physical uh, health, I was in and out of the hospital. We had six miscarriages. We had, um, uh, I had uh, endometriosis five times where they had to operate. Uh, I've had foot surgeries, uh, you, you name it, back surgeries which also made it difficult because a lot of times I can't take my medicine uh, because of the surgery. And so then you're off your medicine, which you believe that you shouldn't take anyway because you're healthy. Hmm. That's really hard. So yeah, she was resistant to taking psychiatric meds in the beginning, but definitely not anymore. Uh, but you know, some of the more subtle things that I, experience that it was really hard to put your finger on it until I read books about borderline personality. I couldn't make heads or tails out of it. But the black and white thinking, like life is either a catastrophe right at this moment, or it's perfect, but anything in between, she gets so uncomfortable, she has to push it to one side or the other. Uh, that's a huge thing. And this, you know, the fear of abandonment. So there's this constant kind of pushing you away and testing you to see how much how much craziness will you tolerate and still show love? Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of really bizarre, upsetting ways that the person with borderline personality acts that just are bewildering to the spouse. And and on my side, you know, with bipolar two, it's a tendency to be depressed. So which drives somebody like me crazy. Yeah. So she would say, uh, why are you punishing me? I mean, over and over a million times I've heard that. And I would be like, I'm not punishing you. I'm just upset. I'm confused. I, I need to recover. And she would snap out of episodes immediately and expect me, excuse me, expect me to forget that anything had happened. You know, I'm whiplashed and it, so it just entered the twilight zone. And that's where the cycle continues mm -hmm. because then of course I get upset because he's <laughs> And it just keeps going and going. And again, I don't realize, I didn't realize back then that this, that what he was telling me was true. I believed it was just your typical marriage. I, ha I come from a family of uh, my parents yelled a lot. And so I just thought that was normal. And so this cycle kind of re revealed itself within the first year of marriage? Yeah, we, we separated four times in our 36 years. The last time was about 25 years ago, but four times in those first years. 
uh, physical, like living separate places, uh, filed for divorce twice in that time. But the first year we separated and I was really at the point of, I don't, I don't want this. This is completely beyond anything I can comprehend. It's destroying me. And it was truly just a spiritual experience and faith in God that, that caused me to, to look at things differently. And we got together and there were, you know, and by the way, in all of this, when you hear us tell a story, you must think, people must think that was just a living hell for 36 years. And it's just not like that, which is one of the things that makes it so painful is because there's always good times in there. We had a lot of good times. I mean, my wife is a sweet, sweet person with a great heart. She loves making people smile and laugh. And, and uh, you know, I think I have some decent qualities and, and we had good times. But then there's the chaos. And literally, there was never a time in the first 15 years, never, that went more than two weeks without a major meltdown. And usually it was every three days. And after a while, when you're trying to work, do things and keep relationships with people and hold fast to a commitment. Rob was getting his master's degree at the same time. Trying to, which I had to drag out forever. Uh, yeah, it, it just gets gets difficult. Crushing. Yeah, 15 years of that same cycle happening that frequently, it would be very tiring, I think, for anybody. Well, I think what made me really change was the uh, last um, paperwork he gave me for the divorce. I didn't like anything I was getting. So I decided to get him back. And <laughs> <laughs> that is just a joke. That yeah. has nothing to do with it. But I think it's a good time to fast forward if, if it's all right to what I think really made the big difference. If, if anybody is listening that thinks that somebody in their family has borderline personality disorder, the only therapy that we've read and that we, our personal experience. Yeah, because there's no medicine. Yeah that works. I mean, the medicine is for her bipolar, mm -hmm. but the, is the dialectical behavior therapy, therapy DBT mm -hmm. for those who are not familiar with it. And it hands down made a difference. We were told this over and over again. And on one psychiatric visit in 2012, somebody said, Hey, there's a great program in Pittsburgh. We moved to Pittsburgh wow. for three months so that Helen could attend a full-time program there and she almost quit but you want to tell like the one scene where the young man yeah um i like to look nice when i do things and so when i would go to this group this group was a bunch of people that were in the hospital that had to go court ordered had to go stuff like that so there were only like two or three of us that were um, regular citizens that were going to the group. And I was saying something and a young man, a young man, he's probably my age at the time, said to me, um, you don't understand what it is to live like this. You're um, hotty toddy or a spoiled rich lady. A spoiled rich lady. And I was like, wow, I better tell Rob because we don't know we have any money. But anyway, <laughs> it, it really, at first I wanted to leave. I was done. I thought, I don't need to put up with people treating me like this. But on the other hand, I thought this program is really helping me and I want help. The only way it works is if you want help. 
if if you if parents are forcing uh, their teenagers into this or uh, husbands are forcing their wives or vice versa, it's not going to work because you need to want to change. You need to want to uh, become different. And I was getting tired of of being the way I was. And I knew it. And I thought I've got to learn a different way to handle it. Yeah. And another story, I don't know if this is the same young man, but this is really significant. This was the first time that Helen saw people who really were mentally ill. Oh, it was different. Young that, man. That she, she got, I mean, this, this guy, a young man probably developing schizophrenia, age 18, 19, ran out of the room and said, come on, guys, hurry. There's, it's on fire. It's on fire. There was no fire whatsoever. He was absolutely hallucinating. He grabbed my wheelchair and wanted to help me, you know, and, and I thought to myself, how sad, um, you know, because that's something that you definitely need medicine with. And I don't know if something like this group will help you. And this program was... This program was specifically a DBT program in Philadelphia. It had others, but it mainly was DBT. Okay. Yeah. They had and, some really skilled folks in that, and not every counselor is. And for Helen, that was it, man. There was this guy that was a master of DBT. He really got through to her, and she learned some, you know, emotional management skills. She learned to believe that things aren't always black and white. So just a lot of insights that maybe my thinking is not, has not been rational, effective, fair. All of those realizations started coming to her in a way that never had. And it, and it stuck with her quite well for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how long ago was this program? 2013. So yeah. what are we at? 2013. 2022. Yeah, so almost 10 years ago. 10 years. Yeah. And for those out there that you are not familiar with DBT, it, it's a form of therapy that was created by Marsha Linehan. Uh, specifically, originally it was for suicidal patients, but she found it was very effective, you know, for those that are struggling with borderline personality disorder and, yeah. you know, emotional dysregulation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 50... Uh, 2013, this is when the program, you know, you guys find this program, you actually move to actually go attend this program. And so then what happens after that? You got to keep working. It's not, it never just ends. Um, if, if you feel like a lot of techniques that they taught me were um, oh, um, the memory. Um, I don't know, I don't remember that one. Yeah, where you're here right now. Oh, to try to get in the present moment. Present moment. The mindfulness. Mindfulness. Yeah. They taught a lot of things of what you do to help you, and I do them. Um, I'll, I'll count the ceiling tiles um, to calm me down and get me to focus on what I'm doing at that very moment. Because, um, well, that, and there's a hand one where you um, go down your hand and all, all kinds of things they taught me. So... Since then, I've been doing a lot of that. We still fight, but our fights are, are normal. <laughs> well, they're not fights like, like loud, fast-paced arguments. They yeah, are... I keep uh, missing them. <laughs> <They're>... <laughs> uh, I mean, in all candor, the last 
several months has been actually very difficult. And I, I think it's actually good on a program like this to, you know, just because we wrote a book about this and we feel a whole lot better. I mean, we, we do feel like we have a successful marriage and probably a lot less stressful than a lot of people, but these last couple of months haven't felt that easy at all. I sought out a counselor again and for the first time met a new therapist yesterday, actually. I just need the support. I'm tired. This, and as, as you go through life, you enter different phases, mm-hmm. right? There's new life challenges. So while we are growing and learning, it's, it hasn't just magically disappeared. But I will say that I think overall, the last nine years or whatever have just been way different and more sane and more enjoyable uh, than, than anything before that. And it's unfortunate it took 27 years to, to get this DBT treatment program and to define it and to, to reap the rewards of it. But ah, that's the way it is. And we learned a lot in the process. When you would separate, what were you thinking and what was kind of the aha moment that brings you back together? Well, I'm the one who made the choice to separate each time. Uh, the first time was out of complete desperation and confusion. Uh, it wasn't really anything personal, per, um, like purposeful. The later ones were what I, the second one I think was without me knowing about boundaries. That's what I was trying to do is establish some limits and saying, I'm not okay with this kind of behavior on such and such a things. And I think part of it, finances was a big piece of it. Um, you know, the way we communicated. Um, and I got to say with each separation, I sure felt a lot better. I started to reconnect with myself and we would stay in touch and we would have some very good, heartfelt, wonderful conversations. Um, by the fourth time, I actually bought Helen a house because that was it. That was, I was absolutely determined that that was it. But, you know, there's a waiting period with divorce. And I believed in let's just wait it out. Anything can happen. And when she uh, fell in the tub, uh, she ended up being in a really a crisis situation where she was on her own in a very disabled state now. And she, she basically made a significant spiritual changes in her life, started listening to religious programming and reading and just looking at things differently. It was very significant and it was very important to me. But my purpose at that time was recovery. And Helen still, still to this day feels very hurt and kind of injured. And she talks about it now and then that I seem so cold and utterly distant to her. And I, and I've told her that I had to absolutely protect myself. I was trying to get in touch with my real self again. I mean, it was so bad. We slept in separate beds for seven years, including that was after getting back together after all of that, because there continued to be issues, but we at least had developed the kind of maturity that we could make a decision like that. And I could say, Helen, I just need to feel safe. And this is going to me having my own space to walk away and to consider my space is something I desperately need. And I did not feel safe to to truly commit to a single living space for seven years. I mean, that's how deeply I was 
messed up and injured. Uh, but in that time, Helen would have periods where she was extremely compassionate, like never I had seen from her before and just letting me basically cry my eyes out and just tell me, tell her what I was going through. And she understood and it was extremely helpful and therapeutic. I mean, it's unfortunate that any couples have to go through it, but we know we are not alone. We know there's a lot of couples going through this and I got to tell you, since writing this book, people have reached out to us and it breaks my heart. But, you know, there, there's a lot, lot of pain, very similar to ours out there. Is that That's what funny. prompted you to write the book was to share, you know, your story, the, what the struggles that the two of you have been going through with people out there that might be struggling in the same way? I think we started by telling people um, in church, we would get up to talk and we would tell people what the issues were uh, because that's something that people have but won't talk about it. And I think after expressing it so much to different people and me finally opening up to my friends and telling them what was wrong with me, because when uh, I, part of this disease is you don't um, let anybody see the real you. So I'm always, laughing, joking. I'll give you an example. Uh, I was in one of the psych wards and I toilet papered all the bushes that they had in the psych ward because I liked having fun. And it was very difficult for the doctors to see that. So I knew my friends uh, weren't seeing it, but knew something was there. And I think that is when we started discussing that we need to find a way to let other people know. And Helen, even though the setting boundaries was uncomfortable, was it necessary for you to get oh. to that place to take responsibility? Oh, definitely, definitely. Because otherwise, part of your disease also is to walk all over people and expect them to uh, feel sorry for you, to feel like they can help you and uh, to make them um, be more or less, um, what's that? saying when you're trying to help somebody you're codependent codependent mm -hmm. and so you want to see these things i wanted to see rob you know yeah, endlessly loving yeah the, the unconditional love she would say it over and over again and, and she would say you're just not giving an unconditional love and it, to me it felt like an absolute bottomless pit impossible to fill and uh, what a burden on me but so back to the boundaries question, because I think it's a really good one. And, and also, we do not believe that every marriage can last. There are absolutely dangerous, abusive relationships that have to be looked square in the eye. And we, we have a whole chapter in our book about that. Uh, but we believe that many can be, and the boundaries are just so critical. I think it's the, the most important thing. Because uh, it just, and the boundary is for me to protect myself and to just feel better, to feel more in control of my life. But the beauty of it is, you know, that one of the classic books out there, Cloud and Townsend's Boundaries and Marriage Book, makes the point that when one person, you know, fairly and maturely, not mean, but enforces their boundary in a healthy way, it it forces, in effect, the other person to change how they behave. How are they going to respond? Yeah, well, you wake up all of a sudden saying, 
oh no, he's not doing the things I want. And now he's distanced himself. And, you know, and you first try the jokes and that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, it's time to look at yourself and figure out what's going on. It sounds like you both figured out kind of how to take your own personal time to be able to find your own personal boundaries before applying that within your relationship. And, you know, we, we agree that not every relationship can be saved or, or every marriage be. or should be, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, but there is definitely a lesson to be learned in every relationship that we're in. Yeah. It, I mean, relationships are a blessing. They are a tool of providence of uh, you know the higher power whatever you want to call it to to shape us and we grow we learn so much about ourselves there's a great quote that we put in the book about a person who is in a relationship with someone with borderline personality and the relationship ended but the person said i'm so grateful because i never had i have such a window into who i was and to 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 look into the depths of my soul and to to become a better person myself. I mean, the growth is incredible, um, but you know, we also believe that a relationship is worth doing anything possible, particularly from a spiritual perspective, to preserve it, but not to destroy oneself. Uh, I mean, it felt like I was coming close, but you know, no, it's not. It's we've emerged and we're okay, and we're you know, it's it's, it's been worth it. Oh, yeah, we've learned so much. If we haven't had these experiences and continue to go through, we wouldn't be the people we are today. You have to continue to fight and grow and learn and struggle to have a good marriage. Were you guys always um, religious or spiritual people? Or did you, what drove you to become that? Um, in my case, um, when Rob came off the, the stand and came to sa- sit with us, I was drinking and smoking, and uh, we started talking, and, um, and then religion started in the conversation. But I, I even, when we were married, to make him mad, I would go to the bar. Um, I was a bartender for a while. Um, I worked in a truck stop. Legally, I just want to say that in case anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's that for me is when things started. I realized how important Um, growing up with my leg. um, I really kind of looked at the Lord as punishing me instead of realizing he was teaching me and making me uh, a better person. And I think when I started realizing what my purpose here on earth is, uh, I think that's what really solidified our marriage. Faith was important to me before Helen and I met. So that, that part was, was in place for me. But, you know, it, that incident where she was all alone and after that terrible accident in the bathtub, it was, it was a life changer for Helen. And she became from that day forward really very spiritual, very uh, purposeful about it but that doesn't make it like it's instantly all good i mean it's just not like that and so what uh how did you incorporate spirituality into your book and into your marriage i guess together yeah so that that's a great question and in fact that's one of the things that um that folks who do have a christian faith or at least you know very deeply spiritual find to be the most compelling 
feature of this book is that it blends secular, you know, well-respected research from psychologists and marriage uh, experts with the spiritual, like Bible stories, principles, teachings, and so forth. Uh, it's because they do go together, and that I guess the number one thing is that drawing on the power of God is very important. It, it is what enabled me personally, I'll speak for myself, to hang in there and to feel okay. And a lot of what we have in there is the, how to tap into that and to feel uplifted, comforted, because you just, you know, one of the people that we quote, he's a well-known pastor, is that there's a love tank that you're not, you're just not going to have enough love for a really needy other, you know, person who's taking so much energy if you're not getting that love from somewhere else, if, if the, because the, the spouse can't give you everything you need, you really need to tap into that God based love. So that's, that's the main reason, but the three really do work beautifully together. Um, it doesn't feel forced or unnatural at all. They're, they blend perfectly. Yeah. The research suggests that as well, that the only other thing that can be in that space that belongs in a marriage is God. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So can you share one of those Bible stories that really speaks to you? Sure. This is one of my favorites. Um, there's a story that's actually not very well known in the Old Testament where uh, King David, before he was King David, uh, was being chased around very unfairly. He had an army of 600 men following him, but the king of Israel, King Saul, turned against him even though David had served him faithfully. And uh, so while he's been running around fleeing, you know, it's hard to feed 600 men out in the wilderness. He goes to a guy that he had been helping and providing protection for named Nabal. And Nabal is described as just a, a son of the devil by his own wife. And uh, Nabal said, I don't owe you anything. I'm not giving you anything. And, and at this point, David snapped. He said to his men, strap on your swords. We're going in and we're wiping all, all the men out and mourning there won't be anybody alive. And the word got to Abigail, the wife of this man, Nabal, and she rounded up tons of supplies, took a bunch of servants out and kneeled before David and presented them as gifts and basically said, I apologize for my fool husband please, here you go. And that story is a symbol. It's a metaphor of what Christ does for us, that when we're being unfairly treated by other people, that, 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 that what we need can be given. And it might seem crazy to think of the incarnate God kneeling before us, but it's a very valid metaphor and, and it's very powerful and it's immediately humbling. I mean, what do we think that, how did David feel at some a site like that? So that's a, I, I think a really powerful story that comes to my mind all the time about this, this, this giving me what I can't get maybe from other sources, but you know, no marriage, forget mental health, no marriage can the other spouse really provide all that's needed. I think that's one of those fallacies um, in our, our culture today is that if the spouse isn't filling me with all things that make me happy, I just need to trade them in and get a new one because there must be something wrong with my spouse. That's really not correct thinking. We totally agree with that. One of the uh, 
the uh, quotes from Jerry Maguire. This is probably a quote that we absolutely hate, and that is, you complete me. <laughs> right. Because it implies that you are not a whole being until you meet someone else that is going to complete you. And that's, that is not how a healthy marriage works. You have to be whole and healthy as a human being. And then the two of you joining together create something even greater. Right. Yeah. I like that. That's actually also a strong message in our book is that you got to take care of yourself first and that's not selfish. Mm -hmm. So we have problems. I think a lot of people misunderstand, misapply Christian principles and think of this endlessly slavish, abused person. And that's what it means to be endlessly giving, you know, no, you got to take care of yourself first. And then uh, with that strength, then you're in a better position to, to help your spouse. So it's really about, we believe that, I mean, Helen kept saying, you need to write a book about this for the spouses there's so many great resources out there for the people who have the mental illnesses, but what can we do to help those who are struggling and trying to make the marriage work? You know? I was in a group once and um, there were all, all men in the group except for me and the counselor. And somebody said something and I turned around and said, no, I'm at fault, not my husband. It's not what he did. It's what I've done. And all the men in there turned around and said, you're the first woman that we ever heard say that. (laughs) (laughs) But I believe that. I believe that part of our separations was giving both of us, not just Rob, but me also the opportunity to learn about me and to continue on my own, knowing that I had to work on my um um, doctor's appointments and psychiatrists and all this other kind of stuff. Um, and it wasn't through Rob. Rob wasn't doing it for me. It was me, myself. And I think that was. And she wasn't always the bad guy, so to speak. I had plenty to learn. And in this book, I, we try to paint a, a fair and balanced picture that if you think that you're going to just fix your spouse, that's not what this is about. This is about be the change you want to see in the world. Try to be the best person you can be. Give the hundred percent, even if you think the spouse has given sixty percent. You still got to give the hundred percent. I mean, there's certain principles that, regardless of mental health problems, that just work better in a marriage. So we try to, you know, paint that balance picture too. Well, even example now, how our life keeps changing. Right now, um, I can't walk real well anymore, and I can't do the things that I used to be able to do. And so now Rob has had to pick up a lot of the slack. He's had to do the laundry, the dishes, the cooking. Um, I haven't found everything I can make him do, but I'm getting there. (laughs) But So he's had that on his plate, plus mental issues. Plus, we just moved, plus all this other stuff that's going on, and he works full time. Um, So it it really takes a lot, and it never stops. It just may change the way it is. and But tomorrow, there'll be maybe another thing and another thing, and and we have to keep supporting one another um, and loving one another. If I can just share one quick success related to what you just said, And that is, I've, I felt one reason I went to a therapist yesterday is I feel like I'm kind of like collapsing 
just from the sheer burden of all of that stuff. And I've, I've been frustrated. I haven't sounded very nice at times. Um, she can tell I'm just like on the edge of my strength. And in the old days, it would have been, why are you punishing me? She would have, I'm always the parent figure that has to be perfect. Uh, but now I could tell that she's like saying, wow, he's really given all he's got and he's about ready to collapse. Let me see what I can do. And then she'll get, she'll be quiet. She'll be very kind. She'll try her best to do what she can. And that makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm in a relationship with somebody who's trying to understand me, trying to do her part and help. And, and it helps, it, you know, it's the emotional oxygen that Stephen Covey talks about. When a person understands you, it's like, oh my gosh. And you can go another couple of days just on that. If you could go back today and talk to yourself on your wedding day, what would you say? <laughs> In my case, I would have said, why is Rob crying? <laughs> I always figure he knew what was happening before. And I did. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's a tough question. Um, um, you, you know, I don't know, man. I, I guess you can I, say it if you can be honest. No, I, I, I'd say if it, if it was like the Back to the Future, and I you could bring that book, that that almanac back, I'd bring this book and bring it back and say, "You're gonna need this, buddy." <laughs> that's awesome you'd bring yourself your own book <laughs> <laughs> lessons from um, the future <laughs> so he would pay for it <laughs> make himself buy it <laughs> so last question what is it that your partner does that you know they love you Well, in my case, it's the fact that um, he does all this for for me. Um, I don't know of any man or woman that would go to this extent. Um, a lot of times when there's issues, they just bail. But instead, um, Rob continues to keep trying and to help me and to support me and and he's always there doing things that men usually don't do. And, um, and, and we read our scriptures every night and we say our prayers. Um, and that's really important that I have a man that's willing to do that and not just say, if you want to read your scriptures, go do it. And we do it as a family together. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just shared the one example where Helen has shown more ability to accept my weaknesses and to respond well. And But she also says, I love you very much, and she thanks me a lot. I mean, frequently says, I love you, and I thank you for all you're doing, uh, very sincerely. I mean, these are those tender moments um, and, you know, those magical moments I've heard them referred to where there's a real connection between the two real people apart from the challenges of life and their mental health issues. It's the real connection and those are worth everything and they keep you going. That is so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Christian, when, where can uh, someone get a hold of your book? So 
Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all retailers. Um, and uh, it's called Healing the Stormy Marriage. Uh, we also have a, a URL. Yeah, I think oh. I mentioned that. Okay. Um, you know, Apple Books, all the other places. Uh, but the if they want to learn a little bit more, stormymarriage.info, not .com, stormymarriage.info. We'll give immediate more information and some links. Probably the handiest way to find out. Uh, and, and real quick, if they want to buy us tickets to Disney, we'll bring the book in for them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll definitely, you know, include those links in the show notes, you know, for all of our our listeners, especially if you're going to Disney. Um, <laughs> Christian and Helen, we want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Well, thank you. Thank very you. Much. Thank you very much. It was uplifting for us. You know, people have been sharing their stories for thousands of years to bond and heal and grow. And we hope that by you guys sharing your story, it's enriched your life and the lives of our listeners. Well, thank you. Thank you. We want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please let us know how you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, our home study course, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier coaching program called Couple to Couple. Look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.